0: Well, hey, everybody, and welcome. So great to be with you today. Well, Sundays, if they weren't my favorite before, sure are now as I get to see so many of you that I haven't seen in so long back uh, here every week. And so, so great to be with you here today. Can we give just one more uh, round of applause for our worship team? They did such a great job. Man, that was so amazing and encouraging. Uh, I just appreciate them so, so much. I know you do, too. But again, welcome if you're online joining us today or, of course, here in the room. Today is such a special day. You really could not have picked a better Sunday, especially if this is your first time to be here with us at Mosaic. And as to why that is, I'll come back to that in just a moment. But I want to talk about just real quick where we're going next week and give you a quick sneak peek. Next week, we will be beginning a brand new series for a number of weeks I'm excited to look at, and that is the incredible book, An incredible story of someone by the name of Esther. Yeah, uh, it's going to be called simply Such a Time as This. Yeah, it looks looks intriguing. Yes, because it is. And I think you're going to love it. And I hope you will make plans to come back and join us for that. You know, over the last few months, maybe like you, I have seen, I've heard a lot of people asking a lot of questions about what is going on in our world. I've seen a lot of people asking a lot of questions about what is happening in our nation. Maybe you've asked a lot of questions too. Uh, and here's what I've discovered in the middle of all the questions. What I've discovered is this that some questions are more helpful than others. Some questions are more helpful than others. And especially for those of you who are school teachers or coaches. Or parents, you know this is true. You know that some questions are more helpful than others because you've had that one child at home or on the field or in the classroom who asks like a million questions. What about this? What about that? Mom, Dad, when will we be there? How long is this gonna take? You know, Mommy, why are you hiding in the bathroom again? (laughs) Daddy, why are you asleep again? Uh, Mommy, why can't I say the same words that Daddy says? Just kidding, not really. Uh, and so forth and so on. You know that's true. Some questions are just more helpful than others. And that is true, I think, in a lot of areas in, in life and especially when it comes to difficulty, especially when it comes to things that we, we can't always explain. Some questions are more helpful than others and maybe even most of all, when it comes to our moment right now in our world, I think that it's just true that some questions are are more helpful than others. For example, and I've been asked this by people from all kinds of different places. I've seen this asked by well-meaning people and certainly Christians over and over again. Morgan, why is all this happening? Why is COVID-19 happening? Why is there so much strife, so much social unrest happening? And you may or may not have asked that. If you have, it's okay, of course. But I've also heard things like this. Does all this mean we are living in the end times? Christians ask this question, is the return of Christ imminent? To which I would say and answer quickly a couple of things. Number one, to the question, are we living in the end times? The answer is yes. (laughs) Because if those in the New Testament considered themselves to be living in the end times, then we certainly are today. And of course, you should know that that term, the end times, it really just means any time after the resurrection of Christ in which we're living right now. So that's us for sure. But to the second question, is the return of Christ imminent? Is all this a sign? Like Morgan, this stuff is, all this stuff is happening in America. This is happening in America. That's happening in America. Look what's happening to America. You know, Christ must be returning. Is he returning? To which I would say, well, I don't know, only God knows. But it does seem just a bit, a bit, a bit self-centered to say that because America is suffering, It must be the literal end of the world. I mean, much of the world has always suffered and was suffering more before the pandemic than many of us are suffering right now. Now, I love our nation, but maybe, maybe, just maybe, we are not at the exact center of all that God is doing throughout history. But I can understand why you might ask the question based on the church that you grew up in or the TV channels that your parents watched while you were growing up and how concerned you may or may not have been with being left behind. I can understand why you would ask that question. But what if, what if, here's what I'm gonna talk about today. What if, what if when it came to something that caused global suffering, especially when it comes to something that causes difficulty and pain for a lot of people. What if we saw those things or what they have always been, one more sign of the brokenness of a world that is groaning and longing for redemption and for the return of Christ, who by his promise and by the proof of his resurrection from the dead will do that in his own time. And not only that, what if, what if we asked A question that Christians in the first century asked when they were facing, when they were confronted with a global disaster in their day, something that brought people to poverty and ruin in that time. What if we asked, and here's the word again, a more helpful question when faced with how we respond to moments of global insecurity? In the first century A.D., after the, after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, the movement, the activity against Christians was relentless. Those, those first Christ followers began to preach that because Jesus of Nazareth had been resurrected, that all people should repent of their sins and trust Christ as their Savior, follow him as Lord and worship him as God. And of course, all of that to the Jews was blasphemy. And all of that to the Romans was treason. But despite having the temple on one side and the emperor on the other, the first Christ followers forged ahead. Miracles were happening. Book of Acts, you're going to read it. Things were moving. The church was growing, influencing the city of Jerusalem, the city where it all started, until something happened, which then influenced and changed the course of church history. We find out about that in the book of Acts, chapter 6 and 7. In Acts 6 and 7, we're told of the murder of the first Christian martyr, someone named Stephen. And if you know Stephen's story, you know that, yeah, Stephen could cook. Yeah, Stephen could show some hospitality. But on top of all that, Stephen was an incredible preacher. And one day while on trial in front of Jewish leaders, Stephen preached the message of his life, that would actually cost him his life. He preached that Jesus, again, was the Messiah, was the one God had sent as the Savior of the world, and that the Jews had actually played a part in putting Jesus to death. And at this, at this, the court exploded, you can read about it, and Stephen was then stoned to death. Now, stoning was a particularly violent, barbaric way of executing people via capital punishment. As a victim, it didn't always die away. Many times, they would be left unconscious and to bleed out as the animals began to circle and wait for the end. But after Stephen was martyred, of course, it didn't end there. Actually, it got worse. Instead of ending the anger against the Christian community, this murder only signaled it was now open season on the Christian community, and a great persecution broke out against the Christian community in Jerusalem. And that incredible first church, that amazing first church, courageous people of thousands and thousands was now scattered and went largely Underground. So, what happened to them next? What happened to many of those thousands and thousands of first Christ followers who were forced to flee? Who were forced to think about it? Abandon their homes forever, leaving them empty. Who who fled with nothing but the clothes on their backs and the clothes on their children's backs? Where did they go? How did they survive? Well, after a brief tour in the Book of Acts to meet the person of Paul in Acts eleven. We're told what happened to those scattered Christ followers next. Acts 11 says, "Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews." Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed. And turned to the Lord. So where do they go? Well, we're told again, they went as far as a place, a city called Antioch, which was roughly 300 miles north of Jerusalem. Now these cities, Jerusalem and Antioch, that weren't just worlds apart distance-wise, as it was actually a minimum two-week walk from Jerusalem to Antioch, assuming fair weather and no personal disaster along the way. But these two cities were worlds apart culture-wise as well. But what did these first Christ followers do when they arrived with nothing but the clothes on their back? They began to preach the resurrection of Jesus and began to plant a new church in a new city. Look at this, verse 22. And the news of this, of that new church plant, reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He, as Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, also known as Paul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Again, Christians, Barnabas, Saul, they're all in Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Look at this, and the disciples were called Christians. Where, first, where? Antioch. And here's where it not only gets interesting for us, here's where I think it gets personal for us. Here is where what those first Christians went through intersects with perhaps what we are going through. Because while all of this was going on in Antioch, something else was going on in the world. Look at verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem To Antioch, one of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius, the emperor. And of course, history tells us that this in fact did happen. The Roman empire experienced a famine that spread across a large portion of its territory between 44 and 48 AD. So now with that in mind, let's pause and ask two things, two things. First of all, we should ask, What must this have been like for them? Because in a day where most people struggled to survive, it was hand to mouth when finding food took up an enormous part of daily existence. In contrast to today, when many of us get nervous, like if H-E-B runs out of onions and hand cleaner for like a day, in that time, famine meant two things. It meant lots of starvation, lots of death. But second, what did these Christians do when, for that day, effectively, a global catastrophe was taking place? What did this Christian community do when something unexpected and devastating began to move across their land? Did they ask, is this the return of Christ? Did they ask, whose fault is this? Well, perhaps, maybe, maybe not, but we're not told if they did if they did it right here. As a matter of fact, a few years after this, when the early church in Thessalonica was suffering and and they insisted and they were wondering, like we all wonder, is this the return of Christ? When questions were swirling around the end times once more, the apostle Paul wrote them a letter where he insisted, as Jesus insisted, that no one actually knows when Christ is gonna return. And then Paul said this at the end of the letter to all those who were either discouraged by the state of the world or who had dropped out because of the state of the world convinced that Christ was going to return he said in verse 14 1 Thessalonians 5 we urge you brothers and sisters warn those who are idle who are disruptive but encourage the disheartened and help the weak encourage the disheartened and help the weak encourage the disheartened and help the weak And I can't help but wonder if Paul wrote those words drawing on something he'd actually seen another Christian community do. Because what had he seen? He had seen what one community of Christians did in Antioch, and in particular, what one multi-ethnic church did as they were walking through a difficult moment in their day, because after all, again, the disciples were called Christians first, where? At Antioch, why? Why? Two reasons. Number one is because, again, they were a multi-ethnic community in a day when they were told, Jews don't mix with Gentiles because Gentiles have oppressed Jews. And Gentiles were told, we don't mix with Jews because they're to be avoided and mistrusted. Their culture's funny. Their beliefs are funny. So the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch because they showed the world for the first time what it really meant to obey Christ's command, to love one another as he had loved them. Oh, but that wasn't the only reason why. The reason was that the very first people who were called Christians were called Christians because they did this. But you're about to see when they were faced with their own moment of global insecurity, they asked a more helpful question. And that question was this. What can we do to help? What can we do to help? What can we do to help In the struggling and help minister to those who are suffering and do you know what they did in the middle of an empire-wide famine they did this look at verse 29 the disciples in Antioch as each one was able prayed about it no that's not what it says had a committee meeting for like two weeks no that's not what it says they what Decided, thank you, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. They gave. They received an offering. They gave financially. And you've got to catch this. You've got to catch this. These people in Antioch, this multi-ethnic church in a Roman city, they gave to people who were nothing like them culturally. As, as far as they cons- were concerned, these people were a literal world apart. And, and do you know what, what, what the literal world apart from us might be? Well, actually, I'll look this up. You're welcome. Where the opposite, where the farthest point in the world is from Austin, Texas. It's Perth, Australia. Anyone know anyone in Perth, Australia? we got a few hands in the back. They were in that section of the first service too. That's the hot spot today. Congratulations. But yeah, most people don't know folks in in Perth. You could actually travel to Perth and back multiple times in the time it took to go once, one way, from Antioch to Jerusalem. That's how far it was. See, the people in Antioch didn't know the people in Jerusalem. They had nothing in common with them culturally, but they did it. Now, We read this and think, oh, this is nice. (laughs) Or maybe even, this is really cool. No, no, no. But the reason, hear me, this is recorded for us is because this was, to use a 2020 word, this was unprecedented. Unprecedented. This was the first time historians say that one group of people financially gave cross-culturally to a group of people that they did not know and in all likelihood would never see or hear from. They wouldn't get a nice thank you note for doing this. They wouldn't get a nice donor video with music and lights and high produce. They just gave. No strings attached. Why? Because of this. It was because their Lord, their Savior and King Jesus had said these words to them. For God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave. God gave. God gave gave to the world. Though the world had not given to him. God loved the world, though the world did not love him. God gave because God loved with no strings attached. God gave his only son, Jesus of Nazareth, hear me, that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave his only son, Jesus, so that we would not have to, hear me, we would not have to live for this life alone. We would not have to live in fear. We would not have to let our hearts be troubled, as we sang a moment ago. No, God gave because God loved to a people who were not giving or loving him, and that, once upon a time, was also me. It was also you. Also you. Also, you today, because God gave, the people in Antioch gave, and because the multi ethnic people and Jesus' followers gave, they were called Christians. They were not called Christians because of their theology, which let's just acknowledge is a little strange. After all, it's hard to explain fully how Jesus can be fully both God and human right? It's a little hard to explain how the one true God is three persons in one. It's a little hard to explain how God can somehow come to live and dwell on the inside of you, which Christians have always believed, while still being transcendent and outside you. No, the people in Antioch weren't called Christians because of their theology. Here it tells us they were called Christians because of their generosity. So what about us, Hmm? What about us? What about Mosaic Church and everybody who's watching today or who's walked in today right now? What if we, what if the people of God became known not just for their theology, which is super important and which I hope is good. We take seriously, but we became known more for our generosity. What might happen? What if we could become known as a place, not just where people respected our beliefs, which they never will, by the way, but they respected more. Our actions. What if we could become the kind of place where people said, I may not want to be one, but I hope my child marries one. I may not want to be one, but I want to hire one because of how hard they work, the excellence with which they do their job every day. And then because that person loves those who aren't like him or like her. Now, listen, I think we can be that kind of people. And let me give you one way in particular that we can specifically do that today right now, because that's actually, if you didn't know, that's what today is all about. Today is what we call at Mosaic, our Live Big Sunday. And here is what that means. We ask on Live Big Sunday, normally the first Sunday in November, moving up by a week this year, but we ask on Live Big Sunday, what if one time a year we could, like those folks in Antioch, collectively pool our resources and give in a way that impacted an organization in our community but outside our church in an unforgettable way? What if we gave to something outside completely the scope of our local church and we gave so generously that it maybe even changed the course of that ministry or that nonprofit? What if we raised so much money for something and somebody else that over time we did better than the federal government? You're saying that wouldn't be hard to do, Morgan? But we just created jobs for people who work in nonprofits. What if we lived big just for one day and gave? away because you know what you do when you live big right you just start you start showering bills you start giving it away it goes everywhere I mean wouldn't that be amazing yes thank you wouldn't that be fun the answer is yes wouldn't that feel good yes wouldn't that put maybe some hope in your heart God was doing something in our city yeah wouldn't you feel like you were living large you would and so today I want to do just that Today, I want us to raise at least $45,000 in one day for an organization, here's its name, change it every year. It's called Austin Voices for Education and Youth, or A-V-E-Y. It's a local nonprofit that develops partnerships around the city to improve the family and improve schools. Uh, the CEO is a guy by the name of Alan Weeks. He's a Christ follower. Founded It was founded in 2003 to strengthen families, strengthen children, strengthen our schools, and they serve nearly now 4,000 families in Austin. They've done this by creating a range uh, of family resource centers, strengthening folks who may fall through the gap. We know that the family is the, the foundation of a healthy culture and society. They help low-income families get access to employment, to housing they've created a range of after school programs for schools that don't have those they've been doing amazing work developing student leaders when no one else would pour into them they mobilize communities in struggling areas to care about one another and to care about education for the kids they do what christians call shalom they web they weave society back together where it's broken where kids and families follow through but perhaps my favorite thing they've been doing recently is this They've been going door to door in houses and apartments looking for missing students. Since the pandemic began and since education has gone online, at risk students who used to be in school, used to be taught in person, who used to even get a meal or two if they needed it, they're simply gone. They vanished. We don't know what's happened to them. And one of my prayers has been, God, please, 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 don't let this education gap widen because if it widens a whole lot of negative, uh, societal consequences can occur. You ask, well, whose fault is it? Again, that's not as much a helpful question. A more helpful question is, what can we do about it, right? Because no one, after all, ever says, it's the kid's fault. And Austin voices has gone around door to door in the city looking for missing children, try to connect them back into schools and classrooms to give them a chance. They do great work. They have done great work. They will do great work. Our city's better because of their work. So that we can't do everything we want for an organization like this, we can give them a day they won't forget because they don't know this is coming. So please, if you know them, don't tell them. Uh, They don't know this is coming. We're just gonna show up with a check and hand it over and make a permanent difference in the lives of those in crisis. And honestly, if there's one reason, hear me, I hope God grows our church. If there's one reason I'm glad he has grown our church. It's for this, it's to grow so much so that we're able to give so much away and to show our city what I believe, and I know you do too, which is that Jesus is the light of the world and that our city is better when churches are there. So here is what I'm asking you to do. You say, well, where's the ask? It's right here. If everyone today gave, and you'll be thankful to know, there has been since last year, no inflation. If everyone today gave $39.95, $39.95, we could could raise $45,000 in one day. And here's a little history of what we've done. Seven years ago when we started this, one day we just asked for 10 grand. We raised 15 based on the size of our congregation at the time. Six years ago, we asked for 15 and raised 18. Five years ago, it was 20. We raised 25. Four years ago, we asked for 25 and received 30. Three years ago, our goal was 30,000. We received 40,000. A couple of years ago, we asked for 35,000. We received 65,000. And last year, we asked for 40,000 and received just over $65,000 again. Yeah. And each year, Each year we just raise more and more and we just, we blow folks away because they don't know it's coming. And in case you're wondering, that grand total is more than $250,000, a quarter of a million. And if you were here seven years ago and we simply made a $10,000 ask, that $10,000 ask is turned now into a quarter of a million dollars more just given away in our community. Folks who don't even know us now, now some of you, you may be able to give more and that's great. Some of you can only give less. That's okay, there's no guilt. I know that, listen, if you could, that you would, right? In the past, maybe you have. In the future, I know you will. But here's what I'm asking you to do today is to participate, as in 100% participation. I'm not asking you, for those of you in the room, to go home and pray about it. I'm not asking you, what do those folks in Antioch do? They decided, they decided. I'm not asking you for those of you who are online, to log off and think about it. I'm not asking you to do that. I don't care if you're mad at the world, mad at the government, maybe you're mad at me today, right, I'm not asking you, I don't don't care, it's not about that, I'm just asking you right here, right now to give at least $39.95 a person towards this. Now if you're here, but for some reason your spouse isn't, go ahead and give for them, they'll thank you for it. If you're here and you're not married, your future spouse isn't here, go ahead and give for them too. One day they will thank you for it. Yeah, every year I get asked this, you know, like Morgan WWDRT, you know, what would Dave Ramsey think? You know that name. As always, call Dave on my way in. He was cool with it. He said, go for it. Go ahead and live big, everybody. It's okay. Ignore your budget. Here's how you can give. Three ways. Number one, ask you to pick up your phone, maybe even right now, and text any amount at least $39.95, hopefully, and the words live big to this number, 84321. Any amount and live big to 84321. Number two, you can give on our website, mosaicchurchaustin.com. Click on our give option. It'll take you from there. Just make sure you select the live big option from the drop-down menu. And third, you can give on our church app if you already have it. So that's what I'd like you to do today. Even if this is your first time here, you're like, is he talking to me? I sure am. This is your first time watching. Even if you're someone's friend here, even if you're not a Christian, you're from another faith background, you're just in town, or you're someone's parent, you're someone's third cousin from upstate New York, or you're here from Canada. And by the way, if you're here from Canada, it may be a while before you get to go home. So go ahead and give today too, right? I mean, if you if you give, listen, you're not giving to us, you're simply giving through us. And for those of you who are suspicious, but you made it to church today and you think, man, the church just wants my money. Today you're right. I do. I want as much as we can possibly get to give together to make a collective impact on a part of our city. And next year, as always, we're gonna do it again. And I want us, as I've said, to be known not just for our theology, which is super important, but for our generosity. And I don't wanna be known just for what we're against. We we gotta be against stuff, for sure, but more what we're for. And here's our promise, as always, not one penny of this stays here. There's no administrative fee. There's no shipping and handling. There's no tax, title, or license, right? Uh, no, this just goes straight to them. You say, Morgan, I already gave today. It's okay, you can give twice in a day. It's like second breakfast. You're like a giving hobbit, you know? You say, Morgan, there's other needs out there. There are. You say, Morgan, I run a nonprofit. I'd say, I run a nonprofit too. And I can think of about 30 things this money could go for. You say, Morgan, I'm already giving to another group. I am too, right? But this isn't about that. You say, Morgan, I'll catch the next one. Well, first of all, there may not be a next one. Christ really might return. And second of all, this is the next one you said you would catch when you said you would catch the next one last time, right? So listen, no matter what we've been through this year, this is your moment. This is our moment to do something great in 2020. Again, not given to us, given through us, and, uh, and we're going to live big today because, again, when you live big, you just give it away. And when someone asks you, man, what was that church like? What did you guys do at Mosaic? You just say, I live big. I live big. We all gave something small, medium, large, and it added up to something really, really, really big. Think of the good the church of Jesus can, can do and what we can be known for. A city that just want a church in a city where we just want to give. So get out that phone. Those of you online, you can open up a brand new browser right there. Right on the Apple computer, it's... Apple in, right? And let's make this happen just like we always have. So we're gonna end here in a little different way. No benediction, no prayer, nothing like that. We're just gonna decide in our moment, all right? Can we do that? All right, so would you stand on your feet here and I'm gonna count us down and then we're gonna go do it. Here we go, we're gonna end real quick and then we're all gonna live big on five, on four, on three, on two. If you're online, thanks for being with us today. It's your time, your moment right now. One, you're dismissed. Go live thanks big. For listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.